Hi, this is Giles. I appreciate you tuning in to this podcast and thank you for supporting our ministry campaigns. It's my prayer that these podcasts will help you to experience God's very best in every area of your life. Guys, what I thought I'd do this morning is talk a little bit from uh, this new book that I wrote that I've been ministering right across Brazil in different pastors' recycling meetings. So here in Brazil, we have like five five different zones. We have 25 states and they're split into different zones. And every three months or so, we gather together and we spend a couple of days really sharpening our swords and getting input from the apostolic leaders of the movement. And that, you know, at a leadership level really, really helps because as you know, as goes the leader, so goes the organization. Or let me say, it, as goes the pastor, so goes the church. And so if the pastor's full of vision and wisdom and faith, then that will affect all the church. Really, he, he multiplies himself into his members. And so in these um, zonal meetings, I've been sharing uh, uh, in a more sort of teaching format the contents of the book. Now, the book in English is called The Worship Service Was Wonderful. And it's all about how you can improve your local church service. And I called it that because I believe that as a church leader, there's perhaps nothing more glorious and more encouraging for a pastor than after a Sunday service that he walks out of the building, perhaps into the car park, and he hears the members of the church reflecting on the service and he hears them talking and one saying to another, wow, today the service was wonderful. You know, there's few things that can encourage a pastor more than that. You know, I know the words of your spouse are important to encourage you. You know, your spouse says to you in the car, wow, you preached well this morning. That's really great. That's better than almost anything else. But also your flock when they just sense that, hey, that was terrific. That's really encouraging. But at the same time, imagine if you walk out into the car park after a service and your flock, uh, your members are talking about the service and you overhear them say, oh, today the worship service didn't really go anywhere. Wow, today was a bit dry. Today there wasn't much life or anointing. That's perhaps the worst thing you can hear the worst thing you can hear and so I called this book that the worship service was wonderful because I believe that's the the desire of all of us who are church leaders we want to have wonderful worship services and when I say wonderful I pick that word with care because it literally means full of wonder or full of uh, yeah full of uh, the presence of God so, yeah, in Portuguese, we're calling the book slightly differently, kind of more colloquially. We're using the, the worship service was top, <laughs> top. It's the way that you, people talk here. Um, anyhow, um, what I wanted to do, there's what I did with this booklet is that I broke it into different components so that we could all um, so that we could focus on the different components of the worship service. Um, to make some adjustments if necessary, rather like a motor on a car. 
sometimes you need to make a adjustment to the engine in order to get a higher performance out of the car. And sometimes small adjustments can mean the car can travel a lot faster. And so I thought, you know, no matter what situation you're in, whether you're actually a pastor, an associate pastor, an evangelist, or a cell group leader, or whatever position of leadership you're in, I think what I'm sharing in this book is really, really vital. And in fact, I'm even encouraging church members and, uh, you know, to read the book as well, because there's a special chapter on how uh, it's not just the leaders that can make for great meetings, but actually it's the way that members participate in the meeting that can also change the dynamic and the atmosphere of the meeting. For example, if a, if a member of the church arrives already hungry for the move of God, already prayed up, already bringing people, already ready to give, those things all immediately change the atmosphere as well. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of detail in there. And just touch on one of the components, okay, because as I said, there's a lot of material. So I'm going to talk about the, uh, how, to, how, to have, uh, how to create or prepare a great ambient or atmosphere for the church service. Okay, and then we'll deal with other components perhaps on another moment. But let me start with a story so that you can understand where I'm coming from. You know, um, when I was a boy, I was raised in an English traditional family. My father was a Catholic, my mother an Anglican, and we would kind of have a yearly debate at Christmas Eve, which church service we would go to at midnight to celebrate Christmas, whether it be the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church. And we tended to do a kind of rota. This year, it's the Catholic. Next year, it's the Anglican. It didn't really make much difference because they were both very high church services, so a lot of liturgy and, and so forth. And But I have kind of a lasting memory in my mind, actually, of quite a negative experience at one of these churches as I was a little boy. I can remember being marched off to church, put into my Sunday best. We had to get in the car. This was happened every Sunday if I was at home with my parents. You couldn't really talk in the car. You know, you had a kind of serious face on. And even if you were happy when you arrived at church, you had to change your happy face for a sad face at the door because everybody looked so somber and you had to stop talking. In fact, there are even signs on the walls that would say silence in the sanctuary. And so these church servers really were not very full of life. We would sit on these hard wooden benches. Um, as I said, you, if you did talk or whisper, you'd get a clip around the ear. And today I joke um, but there's a word of truth in my jokes that, uh, it, you know, I say things like it was so cold you could skate up and down the aisles. I say things like, you know, there was somebody died in, in the back rows and the ambulance came, but they had to remove the three back rows of people to find the right person because they all looked the same. That was my experience of Sunday church. And I can remember even sort of more traumatic experiences as a small boy being taken out of the, the, the church service into a side room with the other children. And these side rooms tended to be rather cold and with a few plastic chairs. And we would share the side room perhaps with the, the church broom and mop and other cleaning instruments and would be sat in a circle and told to fill in a colour drawing of Noah's Ark again, 
It seemed to be like that was the only thing we're ever told to do, apart from to listen to the story of the little boy who gave his bread and fish to Christ in the miracle of the multiplication. That's And, and I, it was just terrifying. It was boring. The only prayer I ever prayed as a small boy because of that was, Lord, get me out of here quickly. <laughs> And thankfully, the services were quite short, actually. Um, so I think the Lord did hear my prayer. So I say that story, uh, now contrast it with this one. When I was 20 years of age, I decided to take a long summer vacation with a friend of mine whilst we were at university to travel through Central America. But we started in the city of New Orleans in southern uh, of the United States and we wanted to go there because we were both really keen on jazz music and New Orleans is famous for jazz it's full of bars and restaurants that have jazz and I heard about this church that played kind of live jazz music in its service and I thought wow that would be really interesting let's go there for a cultural experience that were my those were my words at the time and Somehow we ended up in this church. There's probably been, probably about 3,000 people, all of them black, all of them dressed to the nines in suits and ties and the women in big hats. And we were these two white boys who had rolled out of bed on a Sunday morning. I had long hair down to here at the time. I was a real student. I had probably ripped jeans and cowboy boots because that was tended to be how I walked around. And we went into the back of this service. I can remember being greeted with hugs at the door. We sat right at the back. But from the first note that was strummed on the guitar, from the first note that came out of the saxophone, the place lit up, literally. People started rocking and jumping and jigging and jiving and running up and down the corridors and, and pouring their hearts out in song and, and prayers. And it was just otherworldly for me. I remember the preacher got up and I had never experienced a service more than an hour to my in my life. And this probably went on for sort of three and a half hours. I don't know how long, um, but I kind of forgot about the time. It was just all so amazing. But when the preacher got up again, I hadn't really heard a preacher preach. You know, I'd just been in those traditional services where the cleric gave a kind of, you know, a short talk. Anyhow, the preacher preached and people were hollering and shouting amen. And, and he pointed his finger towards the back of the church where we were sat. And somebody had obviously informed him that two visitors from Oxford were in the crowd. So he pointed his finger towards us and he said, and I just want to welcome our two white brothers from Oxford, England. And the place went wild. And they all came up and high-fived me and hugged me and kissed me. And I'm like, oh, good morning. Yes, how do you do? This is a bit strange. Um, so it was like a wild cultural experience. It, it really broke through all my British inhibitions. But, um, you know, I don't, I'm going to cut to the point here. I don't really remember what the preacher preached. And I don't really remember what songs were sung. But I experienced something that day that marked my life and opened my heart. I experienced life. I experienced authenticity. I experienced vibrancy. I, I experienced genuine worship and, and uh, uh, people going after God. And, you know, even though I don't, didn't have the Bible vocabulary then, 
I think what I was experiencing was the presence of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God in the atmosphere, in the place. Because of that experience, my heart was opened. And so when shortly afterwards, a few months later, some friends of friends came to share the gospel with me, I had ears to hear. I had a heart open to try and understand what Christianity was really all about because of that experience. So here's my point. A dry, dead church service nearly took me to hell. But I'm saved today and going to heaven because of a live, living, anointed, powerful church service. I am. I'm saved today because of that church service. And I feel that that's really the same for all of us. We have people coming in and out of our church buildings, out of our cell groups all the time. And if they just experience dry, dead religion, liturgy without life, then to be honest, they're going to go and look in other places for answers to life, just as I did. Because when I hit teenage life and I started asking the big questions about where we come from, where we go to, what happens after we die, what's the meaning of life, how come I feel empty on the inside whilst I've got everything on the outside, all these big philosophical questions, I didn't think I'd find the answers to them in church or in the Bible because of my negative experience, you follow uh, but and, and I feel that there are so many who come in and out of contact with in church meetings who, for the lack of that life, that vibrancy, probably get inoculated or vaccinated against the church just as I did. But here's the good news. One experience with the life of God, a terrific, wonder-filled church service can change all that just as it did for me it changed all that i realized that there was life and truth uh, in christianity because of that church service so i decided to write this book because really if you think about it the church service um, is the key part of our ministry if you're pastors most of you are then really your main work is the church service. I know you do a lot of other things like counseling, small groups and discipleship, but really your Sunday service is your big event. It's your main thing. And so you've got to get that right. If you get that right, then everything else tends to flow. Your church will grow. But if your church service is dead or boring, then people in the end vote with their feet. Okay, so, you know, they might say, thank you, Pastor, but in the end, they just don't come back. Visitors visit once and never come back. And we've got to shut that back door, uh, you know, keep the front door open and shut the back door from people leaving. And so it's abs absolutely vital to have a terrific worship service each and every Sunday. And I like to say this, that in, re in truth, we have the ingredients for success every time we meet. And I don't say that lightly, but when you stop and think about it, the Lord has given us um, the, the uh, uh, recipe for success. Okay. What, what, what do I mean by that? I, I literally mean that there are three things principally that I think will produce a great church service. Number one, we have the 
most wonderful message that a human being can hear, the message of God's grace. And what is that? Well, just in a nutshell, it is that no matter who you are, you're really loved by God. Uh, no matter what you've done, there's forgiveness available. No matter what you will do, Christ has already paid a price and left credit for you. No matter what happens in your future, all things are going to work together for your good. No matter if people reject you, God will always accept you by your faith. No matter your weaknesses, God has made strength available for you. I mean, there's just no better message that a human being can hear. So we have got the most wonderful thing to tell people each and every week. That's the first thing. The second ingredient is that we have the glorious and sweet presence of the Holy Spirit. No other place in town has these things, the, the word and the wonders, you know. We have his presence, his manifest presence, uh, touching us and encouraging us and comforting us and, and so forth. And, and he's available to manifest every time we meet. And the third thing we have, which is often overlooked and undervalued, is we have the what, what Paul would say, the fellowship of the saints. Now, what's he really saying by that? Well, obviously, Christians are the saints of God, at least in the eyes of the Lord. We're sanctified. And we're sanctified by blood, but we're also sanctified by having the new birth. So we are a, a community of people that have a new nature, of new creations here on earth. And that new nature is a nature of love, of acceptance, of unconditional love. And so when saints get together, they create a completely different environment. Normally, when you gather together a group of people, whether it's at a football match or a rock concert or just a party, there are so many factions and, and you know, so much ego involved and so much sort of self-promotion that divides the crowd and makes for a poisonous environment. But we are a community that serves one another and loves one another and lifts up one another and esteems one another and so forth. And that creates such a loving, generous, kind environment. So I believe those three ingredients, the best message in the world, the best presence in the world, and the best environment mean that we have the recipe for the most wonderful meeting in our communities each and every Sunday, literally. And if you think about it, there's no excuse not to have wonderful services because we've got the ingredients. You just need to mix them together or use the right ones. You're hearing what I'm saying. Don't add other things to the pot. <laughs> Don't change the message. Don't use lights uh, and, and dry ice to sort of imitate the anointing. Get the real thing. Get the real thing. And here's the point. People will not only want to be in your church services. They'll come back for more. They'll queue up to, they'll line up at the door to get in, you know. And I think it's a tragedy, if you think about it, that people only come to church on Sundays, and I'm talking about believers, out of a sense of traditional obligation. Really, we should be in a place like, um, like David was when he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. And so if people are waking up in the mornings and, and thinking to themselves, oh boy, it's Sunday, I've got to go to church, then that really shows there's something wrong with church. 
Because really, people should be getting up in the morning and saying, wow, Sunday, that's my best day. This is the best day of the week. I get to go to drink at the fountain of life. I get to be filled with the new wine of heaven today. I get to receive wisdom from above that's going to make faith burn in my heart so I can conquer in every area of my life. Hallelujah. So I'm saying all this because, you know, as, as church leaders, we really need to, I think, make some adjustments to put on the best event in town every Sunday. Hallelujah. And, you know, it's interesting because I know that we live in a time where uh, there are a lot of excuses now for people not to come to the Sunday service. And you may be fighting against that cultural shift yourself, you know, because of the lockdowns, because of the, uh, the fact that many church services are online. You know, that means people have become accustomed to now participate in the meeting at a distance, you know and rarely show up in person. So that's happened. I think also, you know, rather sadly, and this is, to be honest, the enemy's work, you know, a new doctrine has come into the church that you don't really need to be part of a community of believers, that the church is just your family. And so do church at home on your own. That's the kind of modern mentality for church. And I think, you know, that really, um, you know, if, if you go down that route, you're working against what God is doing on earth. Christ came to build his church, a community of believers. And it will seriously, um, uh, how can I say, it will cause you a lot of problems. A lot of families are going to have problems because of that line of thinking. And in fact, in the book, The Worship Service Was Top, I put a kind of bonus material in the back, which is 12 reasons why you should keep meeting together. You know, as, as Paul said in the book of Hebrews, that we should keep meeting together as the, the day of the Lord draws near. And I show why it's absolutely vital to keep meeting together. I mean, one of the main reasons is that if you submit yourself to a community of believers, it keeps your ego in check. It really does, because the ego is the thing that will take you on the wrong path. And if there's nobody in your life who can disagree with you, there's nobody in life who can sharpen you like iron sharpens iron. There's nobody in life that you're submitted to, you know, then it's not that church leaders are here to, to lord over or to dominate or enforce their will. But when you've got a, a spiritual authority in your life or you're around other believers who can speak into your life, that just means wisdom will come your way. You'll be spared so many poor decisions. If you follow, like Proverbs says, wisdom is in the multitude of counsel. But so many people are getting isolated, doing it their own way, isolating their families, going their own way. And I think that's going to cause them a lot of problems because they've got no other input into their lives. That's just one of the reasons. There's lots of other reasons, like the corporate anointing, praying together, sharing of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, lots and lots of things. Anyhow, maybe we can talk about that another moment. But um, you can see that this book is, is and the, this material is very practical because even though that, you know, that's a cultural shift that's going on in the world today, at the same time, we as church leaders need to do our part as well. Because let's be honest, some church services are really dull, really dull. 
And I'm a pastor, you know, I'm an evangelist. So, so two things really. On the, on the positive side, it means that because of my years in the ministry and being a missionary, I've, I've been to church so many different places, every type of church you can imagine on every continent and every denomination. So I kind of know what's out there. And that's been great for me because it gives me a broad experience. Okay. So that's the positive. But on the negative side, you know, it just means also that I've sat through church services where I've just thought, you know, this is this, this, I, I love the Lord and I love the word, but this is driving me away from him rather than attracting him, me to him. And so, as I say, you know, we as leaders need to make some adjustments at times to put on the best uh, meeting possible by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's be honest, if your church is full of life, it's going to grow. Why do I say that? Because healthy things grow, living things grow. And so, so often leaders, they want to grow their organization. They want to grow their ministry. But really, you know, growth, you shouldn't focus on growth. You should focus on life, upon health. You know, make your event spectacular or at least supernatural, if you know what I mean. Okay. Make it terrific and people will come back and they'll invite their friends You don't need to do a big marketing campaign because the best form of marketing is always word of mouth. It's the testimony of one person saying, you got to come and visit our church. It's kicking. It's alive. You know, wow. Uh, And of course, that's really, you know, how the kingdom of God grows. It's a long established lines of relationship. One person talking to another. Okay. Um, Before we look at the atmosphere thing, and I'm kind of trying to push through quickly because there's so much material here. Um, You know, what's the challenge, though, for leaders? One of the challenges is the challenge of repetition. The fact that we do church every Sunday, okay, is a challenge because when you do something more than once, it's difficult to keep it fresh. Do you follow? You know, if you're just doing something once in a while, then it It's always a novelty and it has that attraction, but we do it every Sunday. And because you're doing something every Sunday, actually, um, you know, it's important on the the one hand to kind of create a, a rhythm, okay, and a structure. But at the same time, it's important to keep it fresh. So you've got these kind of two things that cause a tension in a leader's leader's preparation. So you need to have a structure to your meetings. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be able to put something on regularly because you have to reinvent the wheel every Sunday. So we don't we shouldn't do that. There is a structure. And that's why a lot of churches in the past created a liturgy. And a liturgy really shows the structure and the, di- the direction of a, of a church. And so it's important to have that. And we do tend to have that. You know, we have our, our worship time, our offering time, our, our preaching time, our, our ministry time and so forth. And those, those are good. Okay. But at the same time, you need to somehow really make each part of that fresh. Okay. And the good news is this, that the, the, the message of grace, can you can always kind of go deeper into it. It never grows old. And of course, the presence of the Holy Spirit is always revitalizing and refreshing. So like I said, if you get those components into your meeting, then 
um, you know, all your meetings will be fresh. Okay. Now, let's but let's um, let's look at this this first area that I deal with, which is about the ambient or the atmosphere of the meeting. And what I'm going to do now, just quickly, guys, is I want to show you that how you prepare for a meeting makes a world of difference. All right, a world of difference. Now, this is even before people have come in through the front door. Okay. And I'm going to deal with natural things as well as spiritual. Okay. In fact, the scripture says that everything natural to the spiritual man becomes spiritual. So all these things, even though they're natural, actually, they're really important for the spiritual side of things as well. And if you remember <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 15 and 46, Paul says this, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. So it's kind of like, okay, so what, you know, what he's saying is, look, we want everybody to be ministered to in spirit. But if the natural isn't organized, then they're not even going to come into your building to be able to receive in spirit. If your building's a bomb site, then how can we get spiritual things to them? So in other words, prepare the building, make people comfortable, make people feel welcome. And then you can go into spiritual things. But you've got to first meet them where they're at, which is in the natural, the living in bodies. Okay. So we've got to get these practical sides right. Now, I split this into a number of topics, and I'm just going to run through as many as I can in the time that we have. And I already feel that we're going to have to come back you know, to look at even this first section. But let's look at this first point, seating. Okay. Something simple like seating, which is so important. Have you ever been to a party where it's in a big room, but there's only a few people? This just doesn't have an atmosphere there. You know, it just feels like you're in a big barn. And, you know, you could even have a hundred people there, but if the barn's big enough for a thousand, it just doesn't have an atmosphere. And that's just the way it is. You're never going to change that. It's like, you know, if there's a queue, if there's a line at the door to get some, into somewhere, it always generates a sense of expectation and desire, which is why often restaurants and nightclubs, they don't allow everybody in at the same time. They don't just let people rush in through the front door. No, they let them in slowly so that there's a, a line at the door. And what does that mean? That people who walk past think, wow, something good must be happening there. You see, these things are psychological, but they're really, you know, the world uses them to create expectation. Okay. And the same with a big room and just a few people in it. It can kind of make people turn off, to make people think, well, there's nothing much happening here. Do you follow? And so before you've even had a chance to minister to them, they've already perhaps come in and gone out again because they reckon nothing's on. So seating can be quite important, actually. And um, you know, so it, my, my suggestion is this, you want to always want to make sure that your seating capacity or your room size is a, a, in proportion to the amount of people who are coming to your meetings. And if you've got a big church building and you've only got a few people, then try and divide the room, put some dividers up in the room. That's what I, I did when I started the English service here in Brazil. 
didn't have that many people who spoke English. I was in a big room. So I just stuck these dividers across the, the room and that just created a much better atmosphere. Do you follow what I'm saying here? Um, I remember a church in Sri Lanka where I used to minister and they would pack out the, the church. They knew how many people were coming, but by faith, they would always put out a new row of chairs at the back, believing that there would be new people. And that's how they grew the church, literally one row at a time. So you can be really wise at that. Okay. Um, and likewise, you can get your, your ushers to fill the chairs up from the front backwards. It's another great thing because there's nothing worse than having empty seats at the front of a building. You know, if you go to a rock concert, then they pack out from the front. People want to be up front. And again, that produces a sense of expectation. And you might say, well, that's all really natural. Well, it is natural. But unless people have got a sense of expectation, desire, then how are they going to receive the word of God when you get up to speak? You follow you're kind of in a, you're in a different starting point. It's best to try and get people open and ready to receive right from the get-go, all right? So when I talk about seating, have a think about how your church is set up, how the building is set up, and not just the seats, but also the pulpit. I've been in pulpits that are so high that it's as if, you know, I'm kind of sat in the heavenlies and I'm preaching down to the mere mortals on earth. And it produces a real sense of, of, of us and them, you know, that we are the high and high and lifted up ones, and they are the lowly sinners below us. And I don't think you connect well with people unless you're kind of at eye level, at the same level. Now, obviously, if you've got a big church or you're doing a big event, then you're going to need to have a platform because it's vital that people see you. Okay. So obviously, platforms are useful, just as in a theater. But trying to get the platform again at the right size to the, uh, the amount of people in the room. And perhaps added to that, you know, sometimes these platforms are so far from the actual chairs. So there's this huge space between the platform and the chairs. And of course, pastors say, well, that's because, you know, if we do an appeal and lots of people come forward in the invitation, then we need to have a, a, a crowd gathered there. Well, listen to me, that, the, the, the invitation time, the ministry time at the end is only a very small part of the meeting. It's much better for you to be closer to the people than to be a long way away. Again, you've got to try and connect with the people you're ministering to. There's a huge gap between you. That will produce a kind of psychological or even spiritual gap between you and them. I would say, and I'll come on to lighting in a minute, but people need to be able to see your eyes when you're communicating. You know, even on this Zoom call, I'm, I, I get worried about using these glasses because it keeps reflecting the computer. And so you can't see my eyes. And actually, there's most communication is done through the eyes, not just through the mouth. As I said, I'll talk a bit more about that in lighting. But you're going to try and get a, a, a platform um, that's close enough to the people. And when you do an invitation for people to come forward, then move the chairs if you can or get them to fill up the corridors. But that's literally, you know, just for a small part of the meeting. The main part of the meeting, the longer time you'll spend, is actually preaching the word. So you want to be able to get close to people. I don't know if any of you have been in actual meetings where I minister. I have a particular style, I know. I walk around a lot, but I also come off the platform and walk in front of the, the people where they're sat. And I know that that's not 
much done in many churches, but boy, I connect with people. People really find my, my services, my, my ministry engaging. And it's partly simply because of that, just because I get close up. I have a wireless microphone, which allows me to get close up, to look people in the eye, to walk around the crowd. Hallelujah. I think Jesus did that as well, honestly speaking. I know he went out in Peter and Andrew's boat in order to preach to the crowd on the seashore. But he did that because he realized there's a big crowd and they need to get up somewhere where people can see me. That was wisdom. But at the same time, we didn't go far from the shore. It didn't create a big gap between him and them. Amen. So how to think about that when you're setting up your Sunday service, okay? How you position things in the meetings. And let me just mention this as well, okay? As soon as you're able to, get rid of plastic chairs. Here's my question. Do you sit on a plastic chair at home? No, you don't. You sit on a sofa. You sit on an office chair. Whatever it is, it's not a plastic one. I doubt it. Most of you, anyhow. And here's the deal. You know, you might say, well, Pastor, you're making too much of this. Well, maybe I am. But you're... Um, your, how can I say politely, your backside is not particularly accustomed to sitting on a plastic chair, okay? You're normally sitting on a different chair. So when you come to church and sit on a plastic chair, you'll become quite uncomfortable quite quickly because you're not accustomed to it. If you were accustomed to sitting on the floor or sitting on a hard wooden bench all the time, then maybe you would find a plastic chair. But for most of us, and I know that I'm talking to people from different nations here, so, you know, apply it accordingly. But for most of us, we're not accustomed to. And we want people to sit down and be comfortable. Why? Because if they get uncomfortable, they'll get up and leave. And if they get up and leave, they don't, they won't hear all the message or they won't stick around for the prayers. Do you follow? And so we do them a disservice simply because we're making them sit on plastic chairs the whole time. Now, obviously, if you're holding a crusade like I do, then I use plastic chairs. You know, I go into town squares, I put out a thousand chairs, two thousand chairs, whatever it is. Why? Because that's a public event in a public arena that's there for a night or two. And everybody understands that and they make a special effort. And actually sitting on a plastic chair in a town square isn't a big deal. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about every Sunday, every Sunday. Okay. now you say, well, they're expensive, decent chairs. Well, they are. You're right. But I think you need to make that a priority. The natural before the spiritual. You want people to learn how to sit down in Christ in his finished work, then help them sit down in body first in the church of God so they can hear what you've got to say about Christ. I'm sure you get the the parallel here. Amen. Okay, so let's go on to the second point. I spoke about seating. Let's go to lighting now because this is vital as well. Okay, Uh, the modern way in a lot of churches is to turn the church into a thing that's more like a theater. Okay, so you have a stage, you have modern lighting, often colored lighting and so forth. And they dim the lights in the auditorium so that the focus can be on the stage. And that kind of makes for a very pleasant um, environment, okay? Often they use colored lighting and other things. And, And I'm not here to make Um, how can I say, rules or regulations about this. But I think we need to be really 
uh, wise in this area. Because if the meeting, if the main auditorium is already always in darkness and the only lighting is on the stage, then what you're doing is, again, you're creating a division between the people and the leaders. And people come to church not just to see the leader, but also to see who sat around them, to pray, to visit, you know, to see friends, to make connections. Worship isn't a show, guys. In fact, this is another area that we can deal with. But a lot of modern worship is all about what happens on the platform rather than about the people worshiping. We don't have worship leaders so much anymore. We have worship performers. So people who sing beautifully and often they're very anointed, but we're not anointed. Okay, the people in the pews, in the rows, we get to watch them and hear them. But we don't really get to sing or participate. In fact, a lot of modern churches, people don't even stand up or join in the worship anymore. They just watch the worship, literally. And let me say this, unless you're worshiping, you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's another teaching in its own right. But unless your mouth and your heart is involved in the process of worshiping the Lord or declaring his words or speaking out in tongues or saying amen, then you can't receive the things of God. So when things become a show or a spectacle, you deny people of real life, the life being transferred into them. So be careful with the whole lighting on the platform thing. Okay. If you do have a building that you can adjust lighting, then do that. There's times you can dim it, times you can raise the lighting, but you want to make sure that the congregation, the body worships, okay, the body participates. And even when I'm preaching, I know a lot of churches, they just put the lights on the preacher and everybody um, sits in darkness and watches the preacher and that's all well and good. But actually, I I get the people when I travel, I say, no, please turn the lights on. I want to see who I'm talking to. Again, it's this question of connecting. I turn the main lights on for for the actual preaching as well. Okay, so make sure the, the lighting's good. Here's another thing. A lot of churches, the lighting isn't good enough for the actual preacher, what's going on on the stage, especially in this day and age where we have a kind of black box uh, a culture. A lot of church buildings are being painted black because that's in vogue. And again, you know, I'm not making rules out of this, but if you paint your walls black, you're going to need better lighting, okay? Because a black wall doesn't reflect any light. So you're going to need to spend a lot more money on lighting in your church. And that's a big expense. So be careful on painting everything black, okay? If you can afford the lighting, go ahead. If you can't, then don't do it. But whatever the case... What I've seen is a lot of lighting. Can you see? I'm in here in my hotel room here, but there's a light directly above me, okay? And there's no real light in front of me apart from the computer light. And this is causing my face to kind of have big shadows, okay? Now, sometimes in churches, the lighting is all behind or above. And so you can't really see the face. In fact, some sometimes it makes the preacher look like Dracula or some sort of you know person risen from the dead, He's kind of got these shadows all over his face. And of course, that's the last impression you want to give. You're a person of light. So the important thing is to make sure that there is light in front of you. Even when I did my crusades years ago, when I started out in the Philippines, I would carry around a literally an electric cable with lots of light bulbs strung onto it. And I'd put this cable um, often on, on a kind of town square platform 
But if that, and, and, you know, they didn't really have much lighting in the town square and these places were quite, quite simple. But if the lights were behind me, nobody could see my face. They could see my silhouette. So I couldn't really communicate. So what I would do is make sure always the lights were in front of me, well in front of me, so I could see, that people could see me and I could see them. And that made for a much better connect, all right? There's another thing about lighting too. I mean, now we're talking about it. Don't make your lighting too bright. I've been to places where it's kind of like, feels like you're in a hospital room. It's so bright under surgery. And again, fine, do what you want. But, you know, restaurants, they, they work very wisely with lighting. If you go to a fast food restaurant, it'll always have bright lighting. If you go to an expensive uh, restaurant, it'll always have soft lighting. Now, why is that? Well, because of what happens due to lighting. If you've got bright lighting, what it will do is it'll attract you in initially. You can see what's going on. You'll be attracted and, and you get your food and you sit down. But after a while, your eyes will start to be irritated without you knowing it. It's happened subconsciously. Your eyes become irritated by very bright lighting. And so you get up and leave. Now, that's exactly what a fast food restaurant wants you to do. They want you to eat quickly and leave. They don't want to tell you to leave. So they, they create an environment where you do leave out of your own free choice. That's why if you go to a fast food restaurant like McDonald's, you don't get comfortable seating. You get plastic seating that's kind of curved and comfortable when you first sit down. But I tell you, after 15, 20 minutes, your backside is telling you to leave. Now, you think you decided to move on, but actually you didn't decide. It was your backside that decided. It was the seat that told you to leave. Do you see how they're controlling you through lighting and through seating? Mm. But if you go to a posh restaurant, you'll find dim lighting and comfortable seating. Well, why is that? Because they want you to stay. They don't want you to leave. It's not about turnover. A posh restaurant is not about to, they'll have one or two covers for the night. Okay, so in other words, that table will only be used once or twice per night. And the profit that they make in restaurants is not so much in the main course, but it's in the pudding and in the wine and in the coffee and things. Okay, that's where the big profit margin on food is made in, rest, in the restaurant business. So what am I saying? They want you to stay. They want you to relax. They want you to go gently through the menu. They want you to stare, stick around for pudding, dessert. They want you to have a glass of you know, wine or two or four. They want you to have the coffee at the end because the longer you stay, the more profit they make. So they manipulate you again through lighting and through seating. Are you following what happens? So listen to me. You might say, well, we're not trying to manipulate people. No, we're not trying to manipulate people. But we do want to be wise. You know, we've got, some, we've got a product much greater than, you know, a, a hamburger to give people. We've got the word of life. We've got the, the meat of heaven to serve. Okay. So we've got to create an environment where people are comfortable to stay. And lighting does that. Okay. Lighting does that. Um, Following on from that, I touched on it already, but talking about decor, decoration, like I said, black box is in vogue, okay? In other words, it's popular at the moment. Just be careful when you go down these popular routes, not to make a religion out of it. It's like I know these young pastors who kind of criticize older ones because they haven't painted their church black. You're hearing what I'm saying? And it's like, 
for them, the most important thing is to have the black box. The most important thing is the colorful lights. The most important thing is the dry ice during worship. Okay. Now, listen, you can have all those things if you want to, whatever floats your boat. It's not my cup of tea, but maybe it's yours. So do it if you want to. But two things. Don't make that the principal thing. It is so secondary. It's so irrelevant. If you, can own, if you think that the kingdom of God is going to advance because of lighting, then you don't understand anything about the kingdom of God. If you think people are transformed because of, you know, a light show, then you haven't understood where the power is. The power is in the gospel, in the message. There's no transformation there at all. You'll attract people for a while, but when something more attractive comes along to town, they'll leave you and go there. So you're not building any church. You're just gathering a crowd for a while, and you'll be deceived and disappointed in the future. You hear it? So do it if you want to, but don't make it the principal thing. The principal thing is worship, the presence of God, the message of grace, etc. You're hearing what I'm saying? Um, and in any case, let's go a little bit deeper, because a lot of this kind of uh, lighting effects and dry ice and things, really what? people are trying to do with that is create a fabricated environment that in a sense appears like the anointing do you hear what i'm saying it's almost like they're trying to imitate the presence of god with fancy lighting and dry eyes and things but you and i know guys that when the presence of god is there wow you don't need any imitation because you've got the real thing what am i trying to say I'm saying that you can have the lighting and the, and the dry eyes, but if there's no presence of God, in the end, it's going to be dry. But to the contrary, you can be in the most terrible, limited, simple environments. But if God's presence begins to manifest, wow, you know, people just can't get enough of it. They don't want to go home. There are so many meetings that I've done where it's almost impossible to close the service. Literally, it's almost impossible. I often don't. I say to the pastor, if you want to close the service, you close it. But I can't. And I tell you why I can't, because the glory of the Lord is in the place and the people don't want to go home. They're just there praying and worshiping and, and just basking. It's you know, not even doing anything, just sitting in the presence. But because the presence is there, why would they want to go home and sit on their sofa? Why would they want to go and eat lunch? Why would they want to go to bed? No, the presence is there. the very thing that fills our hearts is now present that's what we're all crying out for now it's present why would we want to leave uh, i often tell the story of a crusade i did on smoky mountain in the philippines which was a a, a village kind of um well the, the mountain is a is a trash heap a huge trash heap outside the main city and there was a community that built houses on top of the mountain of, of trash and i remember doing a, a crusade there and the glory of the Lord manifesting like a golden cloud in amongst us. And there we were in amongst the trash and nobody wanted to go home because the presence of the Lord manifests. So that's the main thing. So, yes, make your place, decorate it nicely, but please don't make it the main thing. OK, the main thing is to have the presence of God. OK, don't make a religion out of some of these things. We live in a day and an age where people think that unless you're a pastor that preaches in tight, ripped jeans, then you just, you know, you know, you're not really a, you know, a good communicator anymore. Give me a break. 
Give me a break. If you think tight jeans or ripped jeans are the thing that's most important, you know nothing about the kingdom of God. You really don't. Uh, Lord have mercy. We're becoming Pharisees. I mean, that's how it is. They think they're being cool and, and kind of, you know, with the spirit, but actually they're turning into Pharisees because the Pharisees put the emphasis on their clothing, not on the reality within. Don't fall for that. Again, I'm not saying that you have to dress like a cleric. We'll come on to dress codes in a moment, but don't make a religion out of clothing or decoration, please. These things are really secondary, okay? Use what you want to use in terms of clothing, but don't force that onto anyone else. You're hearing what I'm saying? Don't make that the main thing. These are really very secondary. Let me just deal with microphones and sound systems. Um, we're called, guys, to be preachers. The message is the thing that transforms. But if nobody can hear the message, then our labor is in vain. So we've got to make sure that, you know, our equipment is good. One of the most important things for you to invest into is a microphone, a good microphone. I've been to some churches where they give me a microphone that seems to have come from a karaoke box. You're hearing what I'm saying? I mean, just a nightmare, nightmare, nightmare to talk into a nightmare to listen to. If you have, you know, if you can't hear the preacher clearly and in a comfortable way, his voice is nice and full and rounded, then again, you're going to tune out. You're going to go somewhere else. You follow. So invest in a good microphone. Okay. Um, you know, the sure FSM 45s are the classic good microphones somebody can write that in the in the notes there if you can afford one of those get one of those they pass the test of time the best kind of thing you can get and remember what i said about peter and andrew and the boat that they loaned to jesus see jesus put importance upon this issue of being seen and heard when he got into their boat and asked them to push a little bit away from the shore it was because a great multitude had gathered and jesus didn't want to just yeah, the Shore SM58, sorry, the 58. Um, uh, Jesus wanted to make sure that people could see him and hear him. There he was on the shore. And really, if you think about it, if you're standing on the beach and you've got a great multitude arrived, then the only people who are really going to see you and hear you are those who are kind of close by, closest to you. So in his wisdom, he got onto a boat which took him up higher, okay, and, and so he was more visible. But also, interestingly, uh, sound waves travel better across water than they do across land. And so by getting onto that boat, it meant that his voice could be projected further and broader. And so more people could hear him. What's the point of being the best preacher in the world? Nobody can hear you. So, so I think this is a great example for all of us to make sure that we've got microphones and sound systems that really do the job, okay? And so invest into them as soon as you possibly can. Principally, you're a preacher more than anything else, more than anything else. You're, you're, the main work of a pastor is to preach the message, the church, much more than worship. I know there are churches today that think that, you know, it's all about the worship and it's all about the music. Listen to me, the church grew for centuries without worship. 
In fact, there were often stronger moves of God and revivals without any type of worship that you and I kind of experience and enjoy today. Now, it's not that I'm against those. I love modern worship. I really love it. I thank God that I live today. We don't have to just sing old Latin hymns or whatever, or not sing at all. I love to worship God in all the different ways, okay? But it's not the main thing. Uh, the main thing is the message, the preaching of the gospel. So you want to make sure you have a great microphone. And you want to make sure you have a great sound system. And let me add to this. You want to make sure that you've got a good sound technician, a guy on the, the mixing table, because you can have good equipment. But if he doesn't know how to work it and how to get the best quality out of it, then, you know, again, it's, it's in vain your work. I like to say for every dollar you spend on equipment, spend a dollar on training. You've got to get these guys trained up. Okay, sometimes it's really loud in the front and nobody can hear at the back. You know how it is. Or sometimes I've been to churches where the echo is so great because they haven't put curtains or pads on the walls. And that can it can just be terrible. I've preached in places and I've just wondered why aren't people connecting with me? And I just know it's because the sound system is all wrong. So often I get up in meetings and I say, look, can you turn the can you turn the can you turn up the return speakers? Can you turn them down? Please adjust the, you know, this, that, and the other. And sometimes I have to stop the meeting just to get that right, because otherwise I'm going to preach for an hour. And, you know, few people are going to hear or understand. So better to get it right. But if we have to keep adjusting things every time we get up to speak, Lord have mercy. You need to have somebody who's trained on your sound desk so that every time you get up, you can just get straight into your sermon, preach. You're hearing what I'm saying, I'm sure. Amen. So hallelujah, get that right and that will help. Let me deal with number five here, cleanliness and order. I think if you don't mind, guys, I'm just going to press on a little bit more here. And I might just divide this message when we actually post it. All right. So cleanliness us English, we like to say cleanliness is next to godliness, okay? And it's true. You need to create a cleanly environment, an ordered environment. You know, as the book of Genesis shows that the blessing of God is where there's order. God set the earth in order through the six days of creation, and then the blessing of God came. So if things are out of order in your church building. Your parking is just a, you know, park wherever you want to kind of thing. And nobody, nobody helping people, you know, get into the right places. Uh, you know, if your chairs are all over the place. More importantly, if there's, if it's dirty, you know, that can really turn people off. It's interesting that the Jews were known as the cleanly nation. And the Jews themselves used to call Romans dogs, literally. And the reason they would, called the Romans dogs is because the Romans would never take a bath. Romans did not take baths. The Jews washed all the time. Can you imagine a Roman soldier who's out there sweating and fighting and carrying around his equipment all the time and never taking a bath, never using soap or shampoo or, or perfume? Can you imagine what he would smell like? I mean, it was a stench. And I tell you, perfume attracts, but body odor doesn't. <laughs> That's the opposite. <laughs> Hallelujah. So you want to make sure that not just you yourself smell good, <laughs> but 
but your church is a cleanly environment as well. I mean, we kind of joke that some people fall over because of the spirit when the pastor prays for them. Some other people fall over because of the bad breath of the pastor. <laughs> so I often say, if you're a minister, make sure your teeth are brushed. Make sure you're wearing some nice perfume. Make sure you're wearing clean clothes. Make sure you've had a shower. You're going to be getting around people. You're going to be shaking hands, giving hugs, laying your hands on the sick. Make sure you don't turn them off and make them run from you. You want to make them to run to you. Um, but the same, same with the buildings. You know, one of the things I always kind of check for in buildings is the bathroom, the restroom, the, the lavatories. Okay. I think the lavatory really reflects the kind of mentality of the church leadership. Um, you know, because great leaders, they understand the, the kind of the, 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 the needs of human beings, body, soul, and spirit. Okay. And sometimes, you know, again, you could be a great preacher or have great worship teams and all this. But some bathrooms instead, you know, they're like little corners of hell in the building. They're filthy. They're, there's water everywhere. There's urine on the floor. There's, it stinks. They're never cleaned. You have people coming in and out the whole time and no, no one there working to keep the place clean during the service. And I'll tell you what, you guys, you know, I appreciate this as a men's group. And so maybe us men, we don't... Um, you know, we don't make such an issue out of this because, of course, you know, a man just needs to use a urinal and get in and out quickly. But for a lady, it's a different story. You know, a lady is a different story, not only, you know, going to the bathroom, but also the fact that they have menstrual cycles and so forth and need a high degree of privacy and need more restrooms, you know, more, more units because it's a slower process and cues and blah, blah, blah. So if a, if, if, if a lady doesn't feel comfortable going to the restroom in your church, it doesn't matter how good the sermon is, she ain't coming back. And if she's not coming back, she's not going to, her husband's not coming back and her kids are not coming back. All because she had a nightmare experience in the bathroom. <laughs> the service was great. The preaching was great. The, the anointing was there. But instead of having a kind of heavenly experience in the bathroom, she had. <laughs> She, she felt like she was knocking on the doors of hell. Okay, so you want to get that right. I'm not saying that we need to have five-star hotels in our church buildings. We're not a hotel. Okay, we're not a hotel. But we need to be functional. We need to be practical. Coming back to restaurants, like even fast food restaurants, these aren't five-star environments. They're not trying to put on the best meal in town. They know their meals aren't that good. But they sell themselves in a different way, efficiency, speed, okay? But if you go to a, a fast food restaurant, uh, restaurant bathroom, at least they're clean. I mean, you're not, you know, they're clean and they have an attendant looking after them, you know, so you can get in and out quickly again without too much trouble, <laughs> okay? So uh, we should have at least a minimum standard for that kind of thing. Cleanliness in your, in your church building, especially bathrooms. And in hot countries like we are in Brazil, things like water fountains. Again, people are going to drink. You've got to provide water. They can't get to water. No matter if you've got living water, they ain't going to come back. So make sure there's good, clean water available. Amen. 
If you have never personally accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, pray these words after me. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins and ask you to wash me clean with your blood. Give me a new heart and a fresh start. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Now that you have prayed that prayer, we believe that you are saved. Get in touch with us at thegreatmission.org to receive your free digital booklet, Welcome to the Family. The ministry of Giles Stevens is maintained by the prayers and financial support of monthly partners. More and more people are looking up rather than around for answers to life and are open to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever the ministry is holding campaigns, thousands are responding and seeing real life transformation. Would you consider joining us taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations by a monthly contribution, no matter the amount? Friends, together we can fill God's throne room with people from every tribe, nation and tongue. That's the vision we have for all of our partners, that in the future when we stand before the Lord, we will be able to celebrate together when we see people from all nations coming in as a result of your support. So if you'd like to become a partner of the ministry, please visit us at www.thegreatmission.org. Thanks again for tuning in. Remember to subscribe and to share this podcast with a friend so that God's kingdom can keep growing in you and through you. God bless you.